0: got your Bibles will you turn with me to first Corinthians chapter 12 this morning invite the ushers forward as we do this morning's offering we are in the series of the glorious bride hopefully through the, the series you were able to see the beauty of what the local church is all about that we would be a family gathered together around the regular preaching of God's Word practicing the ordinances To be able to be under the care of the elders as we care for each other, as we learned last week. That we're called to be able to carry each other's burdens no matter the cost. And this week we're going to see how each and every one of us plays a part to be able to do and fulfill the ministry of the church. But before we read the passage this morning, I do have a couple announcements for you. I want you to be able to save a couple dates for me. November 12th, we are hopefully going to have a cookout after service. We're going to have an Oktoberfest, but do it in November. So we're going to have some hot dogs, some German sausage, uh, like we've done in years past, but that is taking place November 12th. Hopefully you can save that date. We'll gather together after the service and have a lunch together. December 10th. So November 12th is our lunch after service. December 10th we're doing a Christmas gathering at the barn. An opportunity to be able to sing some Christmas carols and Christmas songs together. We're going to have some fun activities, but we're going to meet at the cat's House in a beautiful barn as we sing to the glory of the King who came down to be with us. So that is, uh, November 12th is our lunch, December 10th is our Christmas gathering at the barn. And then one other announcement, we are looking for more volunteers within the children's ministry. We're having a lot of people transition out in, the, in January to uh, the spring of next year. So they'll be traveling to a different base, but we need some help to be able to fulfill those spots. And what a joy it is to be able to come into those classrooms and point our children to the beauty of who Jesus is. Sometimes sharing with them stories that they've heard for the very first time to show them about a great king and a king that came to die in their place So if you're interested in that, we'll be able to talk a little bit about that in our passage this morning But if you're interested in that, we have um, a sign up right there at the children's check-in You can put your name on there and we'll be in touch with you to tell you what the next steps are to be able to be involved in helping our children So again, we're in our series, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read Verses 1 through 11. Hear Paul's words in our passage this morning. First Corinthians chapter 12 starting verse 1. It says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brothers I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagans. You were led astray to new idols. However you were led. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit Now there are varied variety of gifts but the same Spirit and There are varieties of service but the same Lord And there are varieties of activities but in the same God who empowers them all in everyone So each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit; to another faith by the same Spirit; to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit; to another the working of miracles; to another prophecy; to another the ability to distinguish between the spirits; to another various kinds of tongues; to another the interpretation of tongues. And catch it, in verse eleven. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he see fits or as he wills. Well, as I was sitting in the room, the conversation made me laugh. The way they were arguing, you had thought they were talking about something important. No, these group of kids were simply arguing about which one of them played the most important role on the football team. Wide receiver started out, he said, it's gotta be me. I'm the flashy one of the group. I'm the one who can catch. Then the running back went and said, well, I'm the one who touches the ball all the time. I'm the one who's scoring all the touchdowns. And then the quarterback went and he said, well, I'm the one who gets the ball every time. I'm the one who's passing it and then handing it off. And this went around for some time until one of the bigger guys in the room began to say, it's, it's me. And then he said, it's the offensive line. At this, Every single kid in that room was laughing. You you mean to tell me it's the offensive line? Nobody even knows an offensive lineman's name in the NFL. How could you ever say it's the offensive line? But this boy had a point. Not that his role was the most important, but how ridiculous it was for these teenagers to be arguing over what is the most important position in a team sport. For in a team sport, we're mutually dependent on each other. Yes, the running back is flashy, but he can't score a touchdown without the offensive line. And yes, the quarterback is great, but if he doesn't have receivers to be able to catch the ball, how will they score? And yes, there's the defensive line and the cornerbacks and the safeties and the linebackers, and you need each and every one. And yet this bunch of knuckleheads were arguing over which position is the greatest, when they didn't realize they needed each and every position to be able to be a team. Well, I find that a fitting, fitting illustration for our text this morning. Because we move into our passion this morning, what we see is a bunch of knuckleheads. Here they were arguing not which position on the football team was best, but what position in the church is best. You have the tongue speakers speaking and saying, it's, it's got to be us. After all, we have this spirit manifesting in us. It's evidence that our spiritual maturity, after all, look at the spirit speak. He's speaking through us. And then you got the non-tongue speakers looking at them and getting, getting upset. and that, that can't be spiritual maturity. How, how could you say that you're better than us? And they went back and forth arguing, and yet Paul in our passage is going to say, you're playing team sport. You're all on the same team. You're mutually dependent on each other. Each and every person is vitally important to accomplish the task of what the church has been given. We need each and every person to be able to fulfill the glorious mission the bride of Christ has been given. This is Paul's point this morning as he begins to direct us in this passage. And so, vitally important as we remember again, what is the definition of the local church? It is the family gathered. It's a family gathered around the regular preaching of God's word who practice the ordinance, communion, and baptism, who then are under the care of the elders, who care for each other vitally, and then are sent out on mission. To proclaim the gospel in word and in deed. But as we said this definition, the next question is what empowers us? We said it's prayer. And it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who gives us his power to be able to do and fulfill the ministry that God has called us to do in this place. Reminded that we're a family. This is a team sport. And the Spirit is going to work in each and every one of us. Well, the problem was, Corinthian church wasn't understanding that. So, Paul, this morning, his first point is very simple. He's going to tell us that the Spirit manifesting in us, giving us the spiritual gifts, is a sign of not our division, but a sign of our unity. Not a sign of our division. We're not called to, to, to get jealous over this person doing this task and another person doing this task, but it's a sign of our unity together. But the problem, again, was this first Corinthian church was a mess. They were divided in every aspect of the church. If you just look back in 1 Corinthians, we see in chapter 1 and 4, they were attaching themselves to different teachers. Some were claiming to be of Paul and saying, that's got to be the best. Others were saying of Apollos because he spoke in this kind of fancy Greek rhetoric. And, and Paul didn't. And then they attached themselves to that. They were the best. And then there was the group who said, we're the most spiritual because we attach ourselves to Jesus. And they were using their group as a way to look down on the other groups they were divided. But it just kept getting worse. And you just move on along. And, and chapters 8 and 10, and now they're arguing about food. Those who thought they were more spiritual because they could eat the meat sacrificed to the idols. Saying, we don't care about those idols, they're just fake anyway, so we can eat this meat. And then the other group is saying, no, we can't eat that meat. Sacrifice to an idol, don't you understand? It's pagan worship. And again, there was dividing, looking down on one group, and then the other group looking down on them. And then you wake your way into chapter 11. And now they're divided over economic lines. The rich were able to get off of work early. Therefore, they began the party over communion and about... Two in the afternoon or three in the afternoon and they begin to get drinking and all of a sudden they find themselves drunk. But by the time the the working class showed up at about five o'clock, they're on the outside looking in. And again, we see a church divided. And then in chapter 12, where we find ourselves this morning, they're divided over the spiritual gifts. If you just notice what's taking place in our task, we we see the argument that the ones who are speaking in tongues were giving. They're saying, hey, look at us. If if tongue speaking is really from the Holy Spirit, if the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in us does that not show you that we are full of the Spirit? And then they would say to the non tongue speakers, obviously you don't have the Spirit because you're not able to have this manifestation. And they went about this argument and it was convincing. Well, as you can imagine, the non tongue speakers were getting angry. You mean to tell us that we're less than spiritually mature than, than those who are speaking in tongues? And, and they went so far, as we see in our text in chapter 14, to actually try to ban tongue speaking in the church. That's why in chapter 14, Paul asked the, the rhetorical question. He said, should we, should, should we just ban tongue speaking altogether? So you have two groups. One speaking in tongues, saying yes, this is a sign of spiritual maturity, looking down on those who couldn't speak in tongues, and saying, you're less than. And we have these two groups fighting back and forth, arguing to eventually, they turn to the Paul and say, you, you, you saw the Paul. Give, give us some direction on this, because we think we're right, and the other group thinks they're, they're right, and we're just arguing and bickering, and, and the tongue speakers are saying, yes, Paul, show us. Tell them that we are the, actually the spiritual, mature people, the non-tongue speakers looking at Paul, and tell them they're, they're completely off base. In fact, Paul, help us ban this in our churches. Paul comes to chapter 12 and says this in verse 1. Now concerning the spiritual people or spiritual things. It could be used both ways in the Greek. I believe it actually says now concerning the spiritual people because he use that same phrase, same Greek word in chapter 14 as a bookend. It says now concerning these things. And notice what he does. His argument is brilliant in, in verses 1 through 4. He begins to take them back to Holy Spirit one on one. He says, you, "You need to just go back to the basics here. Understand what is a manifestation of the Spirit in the first place. Understanding what is the Holy Spirit actually in your life for." And notice what he says there in our passage in verses one through four. Look at with it what he says again with me. He says, "This now concerning spiritual things or spiritual people, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed." You know that you were once pagans; you were led astray from you by new idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It's a mouthful of a couple of verses, but notice what he's saying. First, he takes them down a couple of notches on the spiritual maturity ladder as he begins to say, "I don't want you to be ignorant of this." I know you're all prideful, but look at you don't know this information. And he says, you, you once were, were led astray by these idols yourselves, so don't think too highly of yourself. But then notice how what his argument is in verse 3. It's powerful. Again, Holy Spirit 101, catch it in verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, notice what he does. He, he broadens their understanding of the Holy Spirit to the tongue speakers. He says, I, I, Don't be so cute to think you're the only ones that have the Holy Spirit. In fact, those non tongue speakers, just because they, they yes, have, a, have, have in faith that Jesus is Lord, that's evidence of the Spirit in their lives as well. And then he turns to non tongue speakers. And he said, Don't be so closed off from the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, you have the Holy Spirit manifesting in you as evidence as you claim faith in Christ so so you see what he's doing here was a church that divided the line down the middle and said tongue speakers on this side, non-tongue speakers on this side and he erases that line he says your line is all wrong the line should be driven around believers and non-believers all you believers tongue speaking and non-tongue speaking have evidence of the Holy Spirit because you have confessed Faith in Jesus Christ, that's that's evidence of the Spirit. That's only from the Spirit. In essence, what he's saying is, you're all on the same team. You're, You're all on the same team. Why are you bickering and arguing with each other? You all have the same Spirit. And the Spirit is going to manifest in each one of you as you confess faith in Jesus Christ. And because you're on the same team, you're mutually dependent on each other. He comes and emphasizes that in verse 4. Do you see what he says in verse 4? He says, now there's a variety of gifts, but catch it the same spirits. And there's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. He's saying the triune God is empowering each and every one of you. You're all on the same team. So yes, the spiritual gifts. Not for division, but actually it's for unity. Every one of you has the same spirit, so you're all on the same team. But then he begins to, to anticipate the next question. If you're all on the same team, then why does the Holy Spirit show up differently in each person? If you all have the same spirit, then why, does, why is there tongue speakers and non-tongue speakers? But, but notice his answer. Variety of activities. the Variety of service. A variety of gifts he's emphasizing the fact that the spirit is going to show up in a variety of ways to accomplish all that needs to be accomplished within the local church you all have a position you all have the spirit working in you in a different way to accomplish all that we need to accomplish within the body of Christ that's the beauty Our spirit is not, he's he's one who, who works in each one of us to show up in different ways for the beauty and the common good of the local church. You see what he's getting at? Notice how many times he says a variety of different. It shows up, he says it three different times. There's a variety of different gifts, a variety of different gifts, a variety of different gifts. He's emphasizing the fact that we need each and every person to accomplish all that God has given us in this place one person is missing the spirit manifesting in that person is missing within the local body and we all feel a loss so again he says yes you're unified with the same spirit but he says i need each and every one of you to be working in unity as the spirit shows up in your life that's the beauty of what he's saying He's saying, yes, this is a team sport, and the Spirit is going to show up in different ways to accomplish all that the church needs to get. Why do we do this? Verse 7, look at it. Why is this so important? For Paul writes in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. It's all for the common good of the body. That's the beauty. And is that how we look at the spiritual gifts within the body of Christ? Is it an emphasized or is, is the main focus on the unity and the common good of the body of Christ? Or have we kind of reversed it where now spiritual gifts focuses on the individual And what they bring to the table rather than the common good of the body See he's going to transform the way we think about spiritual gifts And he begins to give us a good definition Spiritual gifts is the spirit's manifestation in each one's life to accomplish the task of ministry in different ways for the common good of the body of Christ. So so catch it. Spiritual gift is the spirit's manifestation in one's life to accomplish the task of ministry in different ways for the common good of the body of Christ. And notice how vague that definition is. And it's vague on purpose because notice what he writes in verse 8 through 10. For the one is giving through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom And to another, utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit To another, faith by the same Spirit To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit To another, working of miracles To another, prophecy To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits To another, various kinds of tongues To another, interpretation of tongues And and notice how broad Paul's definition is Notice how he talks about these spiritual manifestations in one sense But yet, spiritual positions or ministry positions in the next, right next to each other. And he talks about the miraculous gifts of the Spirit in one sense, right next to the common gifts of the Spirit. All in the same sentence. Gifts of speaking in tongue to the gifts of help right next to each other. And why does he do that? Because as you're looking at this, passion, this passage, what we need to see is that the focus is always on the Holy Spirit and the common good of the body of Christ. The focus is on the Spirit, not the individual. It's on the Spirit being able to manifest in people's life for the benefit of the common good to fulfill ministries within the local body. So the focus is not on the individual, but it's on the Spirit doing His mighty work. Which transforms the way we look at spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. This is what's helpful. See, I, I think the traditional view of the spiritual gifts, it, there's a problem with it, and here's the problem. We, we don't understand, we use this word spiritual gifts, and, and I actually vote to throw this word out because I don't think it's helpful. Here's the problem, it's the word gifts. In the English, we have two kind of emphasis of how we understand gifts. In one sense, we explain it as a gift, free of charge that you give at somebody's birthday. By the way, I forgot to mention this, My son's birthday is today, so he's he's 11. I was supposed to do that in the first half. Wanted to give him a birthday shout out up here. Um, But we understand it it, as giving a gift free of charge. But in the other sense, we understand it as a talent. Somebody who's been gifted in this area, gifted in music, gifted in athletics. And we combine them when we understand the spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. That's traditional view. And the problem comes with the gifted part. I think there's a misunderstanding of what that means. Because again, the focus now becomes on the individual. So we kind of expect to look at the spiritual gifts within the body of Christ like we do athletics. Go with me here, imagine there's a high school quarterback that's gifted, talented. And he shows up, transfers to a new high school. Very gifted quarterback. And imagine he comes in, what's our expectation? It's for him to play. If he doesn't play, we say that's a waste of God-given talent. We never question, what's the death chart? We never even look, do they even have a quarterback? What happens to him? In the world of the church are problematic, we just say, well, put the best person up there. But we never even look at the church's needs or the team's needs. What's for the common good of the team? What happens if this team has a big need in the area of wide receiver? And this quarterback is talented, and he can show up and play in wide receiver position, too. We, we don't even go there. No, what we really think of, well, if he's not going to be able to play in, his, in the position of quarterback, what do we do? We, we say, well, just transfer to another school. And that's how we see it in church. Somebody shows up, and he does the spiritual gifts, the traditional spiritual gifts inventory. It shows them that they're gifted in music. And what happens when they show up into the church? They expect in the next three weeks that they're gonna be up on stage, and if they're not, it's a waste of their God-given talent, and they usually kind of head out the door and move to another church. But the question they never ask is, what is the common good? For, 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 what is the needs of the church? What is the common good? What's for the common good? What happens if there's a need in children's ministry? that needs to be fulfilled, and you're just in an all of a sudden, look at the depth chart of our musical team, and there's all these people, and yet there's a need over here, we just kind of in the American church say, well, this is what came up on their spiritual gifts inventory, and we put them in that position. But again, what's the problem in looking at it that way? We're just asking the wrong questions. See, what, what we need to do is begin to ask the question first is, where is the Holy Spirit leading Well, where are the needs of the church? Where can I fill in that need for the common good of the body and for the glory of Christ? Does that mean we never ask the questions of what am I passionate about? and What am I talent? No, it doesn't. But those questions always come second, which then allows the Holy Spirit to lead. To be able to fulfill the needs of the body of Christ. Because as you're looking at this passage. Notice many of the gifts are ministry positions that you can fulfill for a time. And what does it mean to be able to have a spiritual gift? I suggest we change the word to what you saw in the title, grace Enablings. Grace Enablings." It's the spirit who enables you by his grace to give you a gift to fulfill this ministry at the time so that his power shows up. To be able to fulfill the work of the ministry for the common good of the body. of Christ. See, if I'm taking the traditional view of this test, the spiritual gifts test in high school, I guarantee I'm not on the stage. My gifting was not in speaking. I don't like to speak. I'm introverted. I like to sit in the corner. But yet the spirit in my life now shows up. So that when I begin to go on stage, the focus is not on me because the people who know me know this is not my gift to So then the Holy Spirit begins to show up and he gets all the glory. See, that's how we have to look at, at the, the Spirit's work in your life. Because sometimes the Spirit is going to show up actually in your weakness. And as the Spirit shows up, it becomes your strength so that God gets the glory in the body of Christ. In fact, if you look at scriptures, many times we see that. Imagine Moses. Moses taking the traditional spiritual gifts inventory. Leadership's not coming up on his, on his, his spiritual gifts inventory. He, he was, didn't want to be a leader. He, he wanted his brother Aaron to be his speaker and to lead for him. He was trying to get out of it, but yet when he stepped into that role, as God assigned it for him, The Spirit shows up, so the Spirit now gets all the glory. And we look at Moses and say, that's got to be God. That's not Moses at work. Look at David. David's not even in the room. Nobody's looking at him and saying, yes, you're going to be the next king of Israel. But God shows up in his life. As the Spirit anoints him, now he becomes the leader of Israel. Look at Timothy. Paul turns to him in Timothy 2, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and says, I need you to flame this gift, charismata, the same word we see in our passage. That God has given you. Here's a fearful man who probably is not going to be a leader or a preacher unless the Spirit shows up, and yet the Spirit shows up and notice Timothy become the, church, or the leader of the church of Ephesus. Did you see that sometimes God does work in our weaknesses to show up within the body of Christ. That now the focus doesn't become on the individual or where they think they need to serve but it comes on the common good of the family if we begin to look at the church like a family this makes sense because there's going to be tasks in my own household that my children can't fulfill but there's going to be a need there and I'm going to ask them to fulfill that need And watch the Spirit show up and helped them and enabled them to serve the common good of the family. And the same thing for the body of Christ. Yes, sometimes it's going to turn into a gift. As you notice the Spirit in your life and you're going to serve in that role more than others. But that's a second theory question we ask. The first question is what's the common good? Then maybe you're even looking at the need within children's you saying, saying, I don't even want to serve children. I'm not talented in that. But notice the spirit show up. This is what he, he specializes in and what he's all about. He wants to show up in your life, in your weakness, so that he gets all the glory. And when you begin to, to sell yourself that you're available, watch him lead you. Watch him lead you into different positions within the body of Christ for the common good the spirit in the, in the unity of the church now take precedence over everything else. Imagine if we kind of threw out that word of spiritual gifts. It's helpful in some sense because everybody uses it, but imagine if we now use the word grace enablement. Even in that shift, notice how the focus now is on the spirit. And even in the singers in the room, there's a position, yeah, there's, there's got to be some type of talent in there, but that's not from them. I can't train myself to be a singer, no matter how hard I work. So that who gets the credit in that? It's God. God has gifted some people with a voice that sounds like an angel. So it's never about the person. So, so we, even when we come into this room, there's never a sense of jealousy. Because as verse 11 says... It's as the Spirit sees fit. He's going to position us in different roles, in different places to serve the common good so that we can look at each other and say, yes, we're a family working together for the mission that's in front of us. And we need each and every person to be able to fulfill the task of caring for each other, the task of being sent out to be missionaries to proclaim the gospel in word and deed, To be able to serve the body of Christ within children's and singing and preaching and teaching in our classrooms. There's so many roles that we need to fulfill, but we need everybody working in unison. Humbling themselves. Saying, it's not about me. The spirit of God working in me, for the common good of the family of Christ. That's, I believe, the more biblical view in the traditional view of spiritual gifts. God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we can wrestle over the scriptures together. To even look at the, the, the Corinthian church and see how important the Corinthian, the unity was to the Corinthian church. God, I pray for our own church. Lord, would you build it as you see fit. The story of our church has always been a faithful God who shows up in extraordinary ways. Every time there's a person who leaves, God, you bring another person to fulfill the role of ministry within this place. And we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness to this church. We thank you for how you work in each and every one of our lives. We thank you for how you have equipped each and every one of us to serve the body of Christ. Would you continually build your church for your ends and your glory and your purpose alone? Bless us as we leave this place. Let us show off your glory to the world that needs to see it. God, we do pray for shalom. We pray for peace across our world. We understand there's many of our members of our church who are out there serving. God, I pray that you would keep them safe. God, I pray that you would watch over them. God, I pray that you would be with your families as they are away. God, we we can't wait till that day that we'll get to see you face to face. And yes, our prayer now in the meantime is let it be on earth as it is in heaven, but we can't wait till that day in which we say, yes, let it be as in heaven, as it is in heaven in the new heavens and earth. But be with your people. Build your church. Encourage us. We pray this in your son's name.